coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, will this Bluetooth vulnerability bites? Next up, raid forms cracked more than a joke. And finally, karma is a breach. Glitch exposes users to other people's accounts. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness episode number 23, recorded on August 19th, 2019. I'm your co-host Kelsey, good clean pun, LaBelle. With me co-host Emily, Hacker, the planet. And last but not least, Tarek, the movie Hackers deserved an Oscar, Sala. Well done, Tarek. It did, though. It really <laughs> did. Tarek, thank you so much for being on the podcast today with us. Oh, my pleasure. I love coming on. Tarek's filling in for Tim, who is filling in for no one, so there's nowhere I can go with that. But you tried, and but that's I what tried. Matters. We always reference that, that Parks and Rec. Yeah. Filling thoughts in. for your thoughts. Thoughts for your thoughts. Emily, also, again, thank you for being on the podcast. I do my best for my friends and neighbors. <laughs> that's wonderful. Glad to be back here to our normal cadence, so we're going into our articles from this, this past week, and the first one is... This Bluetooth vulnerability bites uh, with a Y, if anybody's curious. So researchers have discovered a major new security flaw in Bluetooth, and it could leave millions of devices at risk of a malicious hack. So the security vulnerability, which was recently discovered by a team at the Center for IT Security, Privacy, and Accountability, or CISPA, C-I-S-P-A, essentially allows for an attacker to interfere when two devices try to connect allowing a hacker to break Bluetooth security without anyone knowing. Wow. Just another opportunity to mess with connection in daily life. S-M-D-H. Yeah. <laughs> but Tarek, for starters, can you provide a quick review of how Bluetooth works? And is this technology governed or managed by any group? Yeah, so um, I'm sure everyone's kind of level set on Bluetooth. Bluetooth is a really widely used protocol, um, and it's really used for data exchange, right, um, on electronic devices. So devices like your smartphone or your laptop, um, if you've had it in the past 10 years, like a smartphone or a laptop, it chances are it's probably got Bluetooth on it. Um, so all types of accessories are used for pairing Bluetooth. Um, headphones, keyboards, mice um, are generally the most common. And that's all really done over short-range radio, too. So I just learned this. Um, the Bluetooth protocol is effectively managed by the Bluetooth Special Interest Group. I'm doing uh, air quotes there. Um, that's what they've titled themselves, or a.k.a. SIG, um, which was really interesting because it's a conglomerate of over, like, 30,000 tech companies um, that are stakeholders in the technology. And so they really set the standards for third-party companies to meet, like, what a Bluetooth-qualified device is. Um, the IEEE also um, has a standard on the Bluetooth protocol, but they don't really support it anymore. Everything's over now to the uh, Bluetooth uh, SIG. So getting into the actual details of this particular vulnerability, which has been named the, the NOB vulnerability, which, of course, is an acronym. So first of all, I guess I should ask, what does that acronym stand for? How is it discovered? And more specifically, how could this attack be carried out? Yeah, so NOB is really interesting. It stands for Key Negotiation of Bluetooth, um, and it's a really interesting attack. I'm personally surprised um, we haven't seen this kind of attack happen before because it doesn't really seem too complex when you kind of walk through what it is because 
you know, a lot of the attacks that um, Knob actually does really mimics what we see in a lot of other like wireless attacks and other downgrade attacks like Poodle, for example. So the way that Knob really works um, is, uh, or the Knob attack, it was first discovered by a handful of uh, researchers um, from various colleges. But the way that knob attack really works, it's a uh, Bluetooth pairing process. So let's say you have your phone and a pair of uh, Beats headphones or something like that, and you want to go ahead and pair those together. What happens between those two devices is a um, there's a negotiation process that happens, like a handshake. And this is this operates very similar to like the TLS handshake, where you have two devices and uh, they negotiate a set of encryption keys to. Uh, protect communications between the device and or your phone and like these Beats headphones, for example. And so the purpose of that key is to make sure that the data being transmitted um, isn't lost in transit and um, there's integrity there so nobody can kind of snoop in on the data um, and nobody can tamper with the data. But the issue with the key negotiation protocol here um, in Bluetooth um, is that apparently there isn't any like integrity checks that happen uh, on that key exchange. Uh Pair intly. <laughs> sorry, doing my finger, finger guns. guns really close to the mic so people can hear them. Okay, sorry, sorry Tara, go on. <laughs> please, please go on. So it's um, it's really interesting because it means like an attacker can go ahead and during that handshake process. So if you ever like dive into like um, Wireshark PCAP files and you see how a lot of different protocols have their handshakes and stuff. An attacker um, using, like, for example, like an Ubertooth One, uh, can go ahead and. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Emily and I just shook hands. <laughs> and it Very felt silently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're really great at this whole podcasting, Kelsey. <laughs> Every time you say handshake, Tarek, I just want to shake one of your hands. I, I keep wanting to like, <laughs> get in there, Tarek. Like, something like yes. This. There we go. Oh, That's shake your handshake. own hand, Emily. Well done. So what it really comes down to with the knob attack is that it's possible for an attacker to manipulate the key in that key negotiation between uh, those two devices. So between your, you know, your phone and your Beats headphones, um, there's a thing called um, entropy or like known as randomness that is used in, in a lot of like cryptography to kind of help establish the uh, difficulty of the key itself that's being generated. And so one of the problems is, is that in that key negotiation protocol with Bluetooth, it's trivial because there's no integrity checks that happen on that negotiation. It's trivial for an attacker that's, you know, uh, in the position to intercept uh, communications between two devices during a sync to downgrade that attack to a single byte. So rather than having like, let's say, a key value of like 16 characters or something, well, you know, with a lot more entropy, you can downgrade it to have like a single character. So at that point, brute forcing, uh, going through like a list of single bytes to, to brute force, it's pretty trivial to do. So it's extremely similar to like the, the downgrade attack that we saw in Poodle with SSL 3.0. I love that attack name, Poodle. <laughs> Poodle and Knob. But a couple things need to happen for this attack to actually like occur. So you need to have two devices that are vulnerable. So according to the researchers, um, any device that hasn't been updated around mid to late 2018 is probably vulnerable. So you have to keep that in the back of your head. Have you updated your device or does your manufacturer still support that device? Uh, fingers crossed. 
and you actually have to be establishing a pairing session. So let's say you like lose connection with your headphones and your phone, yeah, and you have to resync that. You need to have that resync process or that pairing happen, and an attacker be in a close range area to be able to intercept those uh, those signals and do the downgrade attack. Has this actually been exploited in the wild then at this point, this vulnerability? Because that's a lot of things that need to go wrong. And if you haven't updated your device since 2018, you need to start reevaluating many things in your life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's totally possible because uh, two days ago, the researchers went ahead and released like proof of concept code. So it's, it's out there, um, whether it's been weaponized. I mean, these attacks are, there's no real detections in place to know when somebody's personal device gets popped. And what that looks like. Um, so I would say there's a decent likelihood people are out there in coffee shops playing around with the code, especially since it's you know proof of concept and kind of turnkey ready to go. What are the, so what are the implications of this vulnerability then, and how can obviously individuals and organizations lock down their devices? Yeah, you know this is a pretty bad vulnerability on paper. Um, so an attacker can theoretically read and write data being transmitted over that Bluetooth protocol. Uh, after the exploit um, or after they've uh, guessed the encryption key. Uh, so if you want to think about it in terms of worst case scenarios is imagine an attacker intercepting like your conversation that happens over your Bluetooth headphones. Now in the business world, you know, I mean, if you're a high value target, I think that is an extremely scary attack scenario. Um, so it's something to, something to kind of sit back as a security person and kind of threat model that. Do I have like high value targets in my organization, you know, or yourself, for example, um, that could be potentially vulnerable to that. And then look at like your patching strategy for that. But you know, the good news is uh, the vulnerability was responsibly disclosed, thankfully. So all the common manufacturers like Intel, Apple, Broadcom, they all got a really big heads up on this and things should be patched. But um, you know how it is with like manufacturers and keeping devices patched and supported. It's kind of a roll of the dice. I think I might look in the mirror every morning and say, you're a high-value target. Kelsey, that's right. <laughs> that's how you start your day. That's how I'll start my day. If Mr. Rogers was still around, I hope he'd say something oh, like that. Oh, Mr. Rogers. Wow. Miss him. Me too. Well, Tarek, thank you for that <laughs> for that great walkthrough. That was fantastic. And I'm curious, too, if we can get into the hoodie ratings now. I'll start with you, Emily. How many hoodies would you rate this at on a scale of 1 to 10? We don't even have a scale, I guess. That's true. I'd like to stay within a scale of 1 to 10, though, just for consistency's sake. <laughs> so for this hoodie rating, there's a lot of factors in play here. Um, obviously, surface level, this is a pretty... Um, this could have severe implications. As Tark mentioned, you know, let's say that you were listening, or sorry, let's say an attacker was listening to your conversation over your headphones, like depending on who you are and what kind of conversations you're having, that can be pretty bad. I didn't do as much research into this as Tark did, but Tark, let's say I had like a smartwatch that gets my text messages. Could an attacker get those? Yeah, yeah. If it's paired over Bluetooth, then it absolutely, they absolutely can. It's just a matter of, you know, guessing the right encryption key and uh, once that's done, then it's trivial to actually capture the traffic mm -hmm. using something like Ubertooth One, which is only like a couple bucks. Um, and then uh, once you have that encryption key, you can, you know, uh, decrypt all those messages right then and there. Okay, because I feel like a lot. I feel like everyone has a freaking smartwatch these days. I'm obviously not wearing one because I'm a paranoid person. Also, I hate watches. But um, <laughs> I I think that that is one of the more common Bluetooth 
devices that I see people using without really a second thought nowadays. And so it's it's very common. It's not just like, oh, well, I only use that for my jogging headphones when I go jogging. No, like this is something that people are using on a daily basis. So from that standpoint, it sounds like it's going to be pretty bad. That being said, there are a lot of um, things that have to go wrong or right, depending on, you know, who you are in order for this attack to be successful. So have to, first of all, be not upgraded you know your your device has to have not been upgraded since mid 2018 um a year ago um you have to be pairing a device and the attacker has to be close within like physical proximity close to you so because of that i think it brings the hoodies down of course for like major corporations if you're a huge target i guess there could be something akin to like war driving going on where people can get close enough and try just continually try this attack around your organization. But I think that um, that's a pretty unique situation. And for the vast majority of users, they just need to make sure their devices are up to date or if they have devices that cannot be upgraded anymore, that cannot be updated anymore, they just, I don't know, upgrade, get a new device or um, don't connect it to Bluetooth, don't repair your devices. So because of all that, I think this is actually, actually on the lower end of the hoodie scale and I'm gonna give it a four. Hoodies out of 10? Four hoodies. I was going to say three, but I feel like that's downgrading it a little too much maybe because it is not great. And I think it's also important to um, note that this is, as Tarek mentioned, he's surprised that we haven't come across this sooner or seen it sooner. And so to me, I think it kind of opens the door for like what's what's next yeah. in the world of Bluetooth vulnerabilities. I don't know. That sounds a little dramatic, but no. I think it's just a good thing to point out. So anyway, I feel like I'm rambling, but yes, four out of 10. Four hoodies. out of 10. Tarek, how about you? You know, the scary thing is that we have kind of like all of our eggs in one basket when it comes to protocols. Like we don't have a backup protocol uh, instead of Bluetooth at this point. So any kind of vulnerabilities that come out against Bluetooth is are always scary. Um, even if the conditions that exist for like somebody to actually exploit it, um, you know, uh, I have a watch and a lot of people have headphones that are all operating on Bluetooth. I don't really want to give those items up because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, because of like, you know, a bad vulnerability or something like that. Um, it's one of those like threat model, like you got to weigh your risk kind of thing. So it's uh, it's kind of challenging in that regard. Um, but uh, kind of like what Emily was saying, the conditions that need to happen for something bad to occur, mm, they're pretty situational. Uh, I think people, if you're on the bus um, or at a coffee shop, I mean, your risk might be a little bit higher in public, but you know, uh, generally just keep your stuff patched. Uh, I'd say it's a solid six, you know. Um, I worry, though, uh, what's going to happen in the future with some devices that just don't get patched, you know. Um, so I think this will be a really easy way um, to get a full foothold on the device um, as we see more people devote resources into um, inspecting, like, Bluetooth protocols. So we'll see. Absolutely. This next article that we're going to talk about here has one of my favorite titles that we've had in a long time, which is Karma is a Breach. <laughs> so users of credit monitoring site Credit Karma have complained that they were served other people's account information while they were logged in. Um, so, Emily, first of all, how how did they discover this so-called breach? Yeah, this is actually... Um pretty interesting because it looks like this incident came to light 100% via social media from what I can tell. So users started posting on Reddit and on Twitter saying that they were 
that they noticed they were able to see various levels of information for other users while they were logged in. So some people um, were able to see entire credit reports for another user, while others were saying that some of the credit information was clearly for another user, like showing a credit card with very specific information about that card that was not actually theirs. Um, but they couldn't actually see any of the name or personal information. But it sounds like this started on Reddit, <clears throat> excuse me, started on Reddit, and then some users were also posting about it on Twitter, and once it started blowing up there, Credit Karma, um, it was reported to them or they became aware of it that way. Interesting. So what what could potentially cause this type of issue? So there's a few issues that could have caused this glitch. Um, Credit Karma hasn't come out and said which one it was, but there was a few theories that I saw floating around on Reddit um, that seemed pretty interesting. So one Reddit user questioned if it was only occurring on mobile because they said if so, that it was pretty reminiscent of the Chase mobile protocol bug from 2018. Um, However, some commenters pointed out that they had experienced the error on desktop, which means it was not just a mobile error. Another issue is that it could be with the session authentication, meaning the website might be returning other users' sessions while um, a user was refreshing the page or accessing another tab. Um, But again, it's unclear if it was only occurring to users who were actively logged on at the time and viewing their credit report. So there's still some more details that need to come out before we can really narrow down exactly what caused the issue. Um, But it's most likely true that it was a technical malfunction in the sense that it was not a malicious thing or some kind of bad actor or hacker type causing this to happen, but rather something that was just wrong with their website. Of course, that doesn't mean it can't be exploited by threat actors once it was known, but it seems like Credit Karma got this fixed pretty quickly. So after users started reporting the error on social media, they quickly reported that Credit Karma was then down for a brief Um, period of time where you could not even log in and then once it was back up it seems the issue was not happening anymore well that's good to hear that they mitigated fairly quickly once that had been bubbled up over social channels and i'm curious too what types of data were exposed and if we have any sense of scale i know that's sort of tough because our signals are really coming from social when Mm -hmm. people are experiencing that issue. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So users on social media were reporting a wide range of different types of information being leaked. So the Reddit user that actually started the thread about the breach on the churning subreddit said he was able to view someone else's entire credit report. Um, He actually had enough information to reach out to that person via LinkedIn and tell them about the breach. Um, But there were some other users commenting on that same thread who were only able to see certain bits of information, such as the credit score was not theirs, or um, someone saw, as I mentioned before, like a credit card or a bankruptcy that they had never experienced that was clearly from someone else's report, but it did not include enough personal information to tie uh, it back to which user that was coming from. One user actually said it was kind of like playing roulette, because each time he refreshed, he got a different user's data and a different amount of that data. So it was just really um, completely random at the time. And then some other users had seen the thread and went onto their Credit Karma profile and started playing with it, refreshing, accessing different tabs, and they didn't actually see the error at all. So it's a pretty mixed bag, and it's unclear at this point why some users were seeing it and why the level of information that was accessible was so different per user. Um, As far as scale, Credit Karma has come out and said that the malfunction slash breach only affected about 0.5% of Credit Karma customers or about 1 to 2,000 instances of information being exposed. Um, But I'm not sure where they got those numbers from, and we'll see if that number changes in the coming weeks as they continue their investigation. Yeah, still sounds like there are a lot of unanswered questions, and hopefully Credit Karma 
is as transparent as possible with all that. So, um, and with that in mind too, has there been any PR response from Credit Karma? Yeah, they were very quick to respond to clarify that it was a technical malfunction and not a breach, which while I mentioned before is true, it does seem to be a bit of clever and misleading wordplay um, because if another person has access to your credit information, it feels a bit glib to call it a quote-unquote glitch. Um, that being said, they um, were probably just wanting to clarify that it was not, like I said before, some kind of hacker doing this. They also said they'll be notifying anyone who was impacted. So in theory, if you have a Credit Karma account and you don't get a notification from them, it should be that your account information was not accessible to someone else. But as I said, their mm -hmm. investigation is likely ongoing just from my personal experience dealing with investigations. Um, and I bet that and that their response will change over time. As you mentioned, I really hope that they are transparent with this just because it'll be good for p users of Credit Karma who want to know if their information was accessed. But also, it's just, in my opinion, good for companies like this to be really transparent when going through an incident um, response like this so that users can know about their information, but also so that other companies might be able to um, check and see, especially if this was a technical malfunction, and they're able to say, like, yep, we, we did this one thing, then it's something that we can all check and make sure, you know, yeah, that it's not happening on other sites as well. Definitely. And Tarek, let's, let's start off with your hoodie rating for this particular article. What do you think about this? Yeah, I'd say this is a solid like five out of ten on the on the severity scale. Um, you know, this is just it's kind of funny when you come across like uh, breaches that happen through um, uh, the hands of the people that actually built the application themselves. This wasn't done by an attacker. This was done strictly from just bad session management from you know the company that built. I don't know if they did consulting or whoever built this application. Um, just bad session management. Um, and so, you know, I do question um, how accurate they are on their statement when it comes to uh, the scope of people impacted. Um, if they're doing their logging correctly, like they're recording like a proper session ID and the source IP address and dates and date timestamps, they could probably say with pretty reasonable certainty um, anybody who accessed a account that that shouldn't have. So there's probably some decent confidence there if they have if they have their logging correctly. But the problem is. If they can't do session management correctly, can they do logging correctly? So who knows? Um, I give it a five out of ten. That's a great answer. And Emily, I'll just pop back over to you. What do you think? Yeah, this one, um, the certainly Credit Karma's response is trying to make it um, seem a lot less severe in everyone's minds. They're like, oh, it's just a technical malfunction. Only you know half a percent of users were affected. We already fixed it. And I'm so glad that Credit Karma already fixed it. That's awesome. That being said. Half a percent of users being able to see someone's full credit report that wasn't theirs is pretty um, pretty severe in my opinion. And it's just another, like, you know, horrible red X on the face of credit reports in general. But that being said, I agree with Tark that this is a little bit more severe than Credit Karma might be wanting people to to think or to talk about. Yeah, more and, than letting on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my first instinct was to give it a four, but I also don't disagree with Tarek saying five. So I'm, you know what? It's been a long time since we gave half a hoodie. Let's do four and a half. <laughs> yes, a crop top hoodie. Finally. We have <laughs> Finally, not been without a hood. fashionable with our hoodies lately. I so. know. We got to get creative again. Um, perfect. Well, thank you both for your, um, your scores there and for your deep dive, Emily, into that particular article. And let's move on to our final 
um, discussion of the week, which is raid forums cracked more than a joke. So hackers from raid forums recently breached the site of a rival hacking forum. I feel like there's some hacker game situation, um, which is cracked.to and spilled data for more than 321,000 of its members. The hackers did so well, some of their victims were discussing cracking, pun intended, I suppose, Fortnite accounts, selling software exploits, and engaging in other potentially illegal activities. So, Tarek, this feels like a cyber version of The Outsiders. <laughs> um, what, what went down, as the kids say, with this breach? Well, it really is, minus like the star-studded cast. Um, <laughs> well, we don't know. That's true. Not yet. Tom, Not yet. <laughs> Tom Cruise could be very well in there. I knew it. Uh, so, uh, Crack Two and Raid forums are like two pretty decently popular uh, like hacking forums, and I say hacking with like but, uh, air quotes there. Um, and what it really is is you have a small pool of contributors, people that write. Um, hacking tools like uh, ransomware builders and crackers and pieces of software like that. Um, also, also to uh, there's people that uh, um, sell hacking services like, hey, I want, you know, if you want your Facebook account to get uh, comp or uh, password stolen, let me know and Bitcoin, blah blah blah. So there are those kind of services on both of these forums. Um, I'm not sure what sparked this, but there was some sort of a feud um, between the uh, both forums. Um, you know, and a lot of script kiddies live there. Um, so I'm assuming it's probably going to be pretty easy to, uh, you know, uh, light a fire that'll engulf both of the both of the forums. Um, so Crack2 forums got owned. Um, and it sounds like uh, the assumption is the raid forums crew uh, are taking responsibility for it. Um, I haven't actually gone through the raid forums posts yet, but that's probably going to be the first thing I do after this. Uh to see if there's any kind of uh, like specific individuals that are associated with it or whatnot. Uh, but the interesting thing is that uh, the Crack2 forums are built on um, a piece of open source software called MyBB, which is my bulletin board. Um, and it's open source and it's built on PHP. And uh, as we all know, uh, PHP and vulnerabilities go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly. Um, and so I was digging through like some of my exploit sources, um, and there's a good amount of like weaponized exploits out there for my BB, things like SQL injection or remote code execution, pretty freely available uh, publicly um, for a lot of like relatively new versions of my BB software. Um, so I don't think that was the case here. Um, we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but. Um, Attackers make all kinds of horrible security decisions just like the rest of us. Um, so they, too, forget to patch. Or in this case, they forgot to use strong hashing algorithms on their passwords. Mm, that's interesting. I was not familiar with my BB. Um, I'm just thinking the lyrics that keep running through my head are, you'll always be my BB. That might just have to be the title of this episode. I think that'll be a good one. Thank you. Um, so, Emily, what, what was exposed in this dump? Yeah, so according to the website Have I Been Pwned, there were 749,161 accounts that were compromised. Um, and the data from those compromised accounts included email addresses, IP addresses, password stored as bcrypt hashes, private messages, and usernames. Um, the private messages in particular are the piece that is um, most interesting. It included... 397,000 private messages 
um, the details of which included um, people that were seeking to buy, sell, or support software services that Tark mentioned, different types of malware, um, and also a lot of, apparently, people that were trying to um, buy or sell cracked accounts for Fortnite. Why on earth that is the most popular thing coming out of this? I don't know. I'm not 12 years old, but um, that is a huge thing. The As silly as it may sound, it is still illegal. Um, so the individuals who are participating in these activities whose messages may have been compromised, if they were using good OPSEC, they may not be affected too much, assuming, you know, they were accessing this forum over Tor and they were using a unique username for this um, for this forum and a unique email and they weren't just using their like first name, last name at gmail.com and the username that they also use for their Instagram account or something that can lead them back to who they are and if they weren't just, you know, accessing it from their home network with no kind of security in place, then it may be pretty difficult to find them. And I don't know if anyone's actually going to come looking, but the point remains, if they weren't using good OPSEC and they do have these messages showing that they were engaging in these illegal activities, it could be a pretty bad day for some of them. So um, I feel like there may be some very nervous script kiddies right now who are quickly deleting all of these messages, hoping that they get away from like the Fortnite police, but it might be the real police also. So The Fortnite police. So has there, speaking of the nervous script kiddies, has there been any kind of response from either of the forums? Well, I think it's really interesting. So one of the Crack2 admins made the claim that uh, the the entry point for the exposure of the database was because they knew someone who had access to the forum backup databases, which is really interesting. And it kind of goes back to the whole, just because you're an attacker doesn't mean or you're involved in that scene doesn't really mean that you're the most sophisticated when it comes to OPSEC, like what Emily was talking about, or just best practices in general. So you shouldn't have multiple people that you, quote, trust access to something that sensitive. But I think the cherry on top for me was that the original forum backup database was in um, the hashing algorithm for the passwords was unsalted MD5 which is like, welcome to the 1990s. (laughs) You know, it takes like seconds to crack those kind of hashes. So, you know, a couple months ago, um, the staff became aware of the database that was exposed and they went ahead and migrated over to Salted uh, Bcrypt, which is a, you know, bleeding edge, strong, proper, best practice way to hash passwords. But the damage was kind of already done. Um, All those private messages, um, everything like that was exposed, um, passwords too. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting from a threat intel perspective to see, you know, in some time, uh, threat intel security specialists reading inside of these uh, exposed messages and being able to uh, attribute an attacker or an attack or in a breach to somebody that acquired software or or some sort of attribution back to um, somebody on these forums. Um, I think it's very likely to be possible, especially if you spend five minutes diving into these forums. They are some, you know, really like script kitty level folks that are just looking for a point and click way to to compromise something and you know they can get the tools to do that here that's a great point and Tarek, i'll start with you here for the final hoodie scale what would you uh what would you get this you know uh this one's kind of a okay so from like a threat intel perspective i'm going to give this like an eight out of ten um i think this is going to be really exciting to like sit and bake and see what happens and what comes out of it in like a year or maybe six months time um, I think it could be really interesting to see some cool write-ups on uh, different attacks and maybe some sort of a better attribution. So I'm excited for that. I think uh, 8 out of 10 from a from a blue team perspective. So 8 out of 10 goodies, perhaps? 
Sure. Yeah, this is an 8 out of 10 goodies. What about you, Emily? Yeah, this one, I um, I almost feel like this one, it's it's interesting, and it can be very interesting from a Thread Intel perspective, and I agree that that's going to be where most of the value comes from, assuming that this is really not just full of people like, hey, man, can I buy some crack Fortnite accounts? Like, I don't know. That is not going to be... It's a very good impression. Thanks. That's my script kitty impression. <laughs> That's not going to be necessarily super useful from a threat intel perspective, but here's hoping that there is some really useful information, perhaps some people um, buying and selling malware that's more sophisticated, and that can be useful. As far as a hoodie rating goes, if you are a criminal on one of these sites and you have been participating in illegal activities with horrible OPSEC, this is a not great thing for you. This is a pretty bad event for you. Um, but that... It's kind of your problem, and so I feel like... Sounds like a personal problem. Right. So I feel like the hoodies and goodies almost cancel out to the point where this is like maybe like a one goodie or one hoodie kind of situation where it's just like, meh. Like, hopefully something good comes out of it, but I won't be surprised if it's all just stupid script kitty crap. Hopefully nothing too, too bad comes out of it, and honestly, I won't be surprised if nothing does. Can I change my goodie to apple fritters? Yes. Mm. There's eight apple fritters for me. Eight. My apple goodness, that sounds good right fritters. Now. It's noted for the record. <laughs> <laughs> so shall it be written? <laughs> well, thank you both so much for your time. It's so great to be back here in the studio. And Tarek, special thanks for you for joining today for the podcast. Always love having your voice on the pod. Emily, of course, always love having you here. So thank you both for your insights. And we'll see you next time. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs> <laughs>